This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard the story in the news recently. Um, uh, a 19-year-old Mexican teenager has set up shop outside the uh, British embassy in Mexico City and declared that she was going on hunger strike. Uh, that is, that she wouldn't eat anything until she received her invitation. What was she looking an invite to? Well... Of course, it was the biggest event of the year, the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. Uh, Unfortunately, Buckingham Palace said that there was no more room available, so I don't know if she's still there or not. To receive an invitation uh, is a wonderful thing, especially if it's to a very uh, prestigious occasion. Um, I have never been invited to anything particularly prestigious. Um, My mother and father uh, were invited to see the Queen, Uh, at the ceremony where the Royal Ulster Constabulary received the George Cross Award. I think that's our family's only claim to fame. But as we uh, continue in Luke, uh, and as as he records these events for us, he has a very different type of invitation in mind. It's the invitation of the kingdom of God, an offer to be part of God's unfolding plan in the world as it will take place through the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately his resurrection. Now last time we we looked at the events of the transfiguration and we saw there that Jesus' identity uh, had been revealed to his disciples as the Christ, as the Son of God. And now the emphasis of Luke's gospel changes slightly and it moves away um, from the identity of Jesus to a period where Jesus is now heading to Jerusalem, and the emphasis is on him training his disciples, what it is to be a disciple. And in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke records for us there that Jesus resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem to accomplish his exodus, as we've seen in the transfiguration. And as Luke then takes us on this journey, he shows us and shows us what Jesus taught as he heads towards Jerusalem, towards the fate, uh, the events of his death and resurrection. And the big theme, as we've said before, of course, through Luke's gospel, is the kingdom of God. And as we reach chapter 13 here, we find that Luke records for us a series of incidents um, from uh, chapter 13, verse 22 onwards, a series of incidents where Jesus teaches about who will be part of the kingdom of God. Who will enter the kingdom? Now the answer to that question, you may think that's obvious, but put yourself in the place of Jesus' disciples. Put yourself in the place of Luke's readers, the first readers of his gospel. Who would they have assumed would have been part of the plans of God? Whom would they have figured would be those who would be first into the kingdom? When you looked around you in first century Roman-occupied Palestine, what was the obvious answer? Well, the obvious answer, of course, was the Jewish people, those who would keep the law, those who were religious. Surely God would bring them into his kingdom. Look, Look how religious they are. And of all those religious Jews, surely these Pharisees are the most pious of all. 
They strictly keep the laws of Moses. They are concerned with ceremonial washings and and cleansing. They taught in the synagogues and in the temple. That would seem the logical answer in the context of first century Palestine. But that wasn't the answer that Jesus would give. As Jesus came announcing the kingdom that it had come in him, it was these very religious people that you would assume would be, of course, the first people into the kingdom. These very people are the ones who hate Jesus and his message, who opposed him the most. For as Jesus confronts the Pharisees and their traditions, he highlights something remarkable, something quite scandalous, really, is that these religious, these pious persons might have received an invitation, but they were not coming to the feast. The incident that Luke, the incidents that Luke records revolve um, around questions and events which confront Jesus, and finally, of course, the parable uh, of the great banquet itself. Now, in the Jewish understanding of the idea of the kingdom um, that would come in the end times, it was associated with feasting, with the idea of a feast, a great banquet, an idea that God would abundantly supply every need, and at the end, the righteous, to which the, the Jews can, who, who which the Jews considered themselves, would be at the feast with Abraham and the prophets, and would be a great celebration, and the kingdom would have arrived. And we find this idea, of course. It pops up twice in these episodes. Uh, Firstly, in response, Jesus' response to the man's question in in chapter 13, verse 29. And then when the pious guest makes his remark in chapter 14, verse 15. You have this idea coming up. But who will be at the feast? That is the question. Will those who have been invited actually come when the feast is prepared and all is ready? So the first question that is posed to Jesus comes in chapter 13, verse 23, when a theologian asks a very interesting question. Will only a few be saved, essentially? Or, let's put it another way, will everyone be saved? Jesus' answer to the man is interesting, for rather than answer the question directly, he turns it round. And asks the man, in effect, that's, or basically says to the man, that's the wrong question to ask. The question you must consider is that, will you be saved? And then, rather than speaking about the quantity of those who will be in the kingdom, Jesus then teaches about the need for haste to enter the kingdom. For he says that there will come a time when many will try and get into the house, that is, the kingdom, and not be able to. A time, the time to enter will be over and everyone who is outside will be left outside. Indeed, says Jesus, there will be a big surprise for those who are left outside. For they will see Abraham and the, fa- the father of the Jewish nation, the prophets in the kingdom, and they themselves will be left out. Indeed, Jesus even hints that it will not only be the Jews who will be in the kingdom... But many will come from east and west and will take their place at the great feast of the kingdom. This, I think, is a hint that the kingdom will be extended beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus is saying that there will be great surprise, a great surprise, when the kingdom comes. For those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. 
the kingdom is topsy-turvy. For those who think they will be first into the kingdom, they indeed will be last. What it seems like here on earth in reality will be turned on its head when the kingdom is revealed. And the second incident that Luke records is the warning that comes, from, or comes to Jesus that Herod is going to kill him. And Jesus' response is to highlight that his plans are set and that he will not be put to death before his time. He is walking towards Jerusalem according to the plan of God and nothing Herod or anybody else can do will stop that. But then Luke records for us something very interesting. He records Jesus' lament. This is a lament over Jerusalem in verses 13, or sorry, verses 34 through 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke, I think, places this here not because this is the actual time when Jesus said this, but because it fits the theme. As he draws different incidents from this journey Jesus is making together into his narrative. And again, who then is the kingdom for? Jesus gives a lament for the city of David because he knows that he will be rejected. It is his desire, his want to bring his people together, to care for them. Yet these same people whom he had come for in those awful words are not willing. The prophets had been sent and they had not listened to them but killed and stoned them. Now the Christ was to enter Jerusalem and Jesus laments for he knows as he goes to offer the kingdom they are not willing. Those who should have been part of the kingdom, those who should have been welcoming him with open arms, the ones whom God, this person whom God had sent, they will reject him. As Herod rejected John the Baptist and beheaded him, put him to death, so Jerusalem will reject the king and put him to death as well. The God who had spoken to his people many times through the prophets, from Moses right through to John the Baptist, the final Old Testament prophet. The God who had pleaded with his chosen people to turn back to him and who has now sent his son. The God, God had invited them to be part of his kingdom. But now when the time had come for them to rejoice and to receive that kingdom, the kingdom which Christ was bringing, they will not enter. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. That is the way John put it in his gospel. The kingdom had come and they did not recognize it. Jesus' offer of the kingdom will not last forever. There is a limited time in which we can strive, as he himself said, to enter the kingdom. But there will be a time when that narrow door of salvation will be shut and all opportunity for repentance will have ended. For Israel, that time was drawing close. 
when those doors would shut. And for those outside, they would be unable to come to the feast. And as we sit here today, let us consider just how important this teaching is for all of us. Jesus' warning to strive to enter the kingdom is for all of us. Time is limited. There will come a point when there will be no more time left for us to enter the kingdom, to be born again, to become children of God through the offer of grace that God gives through Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that matters. If you aren't a Christian, then today is the day to enter the kingdom. Today is the day to make the choice. Today is the day to come. Because tomorrow there may not be another chance. Luke moves on into chapter 14 to record the events that take place at a dinner party of a very prominent Pharisee. This man probably uh, was a Maybe a, a person who was part of the, the ruling council, we're not sure, but a very prominent figure. Uh, and Jesus, as the traveling rabbi, most likely was invited to this person's house on the Sabbath day for the meal afterwards uh, out of custom. And we find that he has been watched very carefully. Jesus has already had a few run-ins with the Pharisees before this point. They're, they are suspicious of him. He has challenged them before and now they watch. They watch very carefully to see if they can catch him out. Yet it's Jesus who turns the tables on them and sees through their hypocrisy. Remember again that the Pharisees considered themselves to be the righteous and would have been in the kingdom of God when, when it comes. They would be there. They were the strict religious types, as we've said before. But Jesus here has some very important lessons for them to learn. Firstly, he would highlight their hypocrisy regarding their traditions about the law. At the dinner party on the Sabbath day, there was a man suffering from dropsy. Could potentially have been there, put there on purpose. We're not sure. Um, dropsy fluid in his joints. And Jesus asks the question then of the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? or not. And they remain silent. They believe it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath, unless it was something threatening, something life-threatening. But of course, nowhere in the law of Moses did it actually say that. That was a tradition they had invented. But they remain silent because to say that would have highlighted their hard-heartedness and their total lack of common humanity. The poor man needed help. And they would have denied it to him. In seeking to keep the letter of the law, as they saw it, they had missed the spirit of the law, which was for the good of people. But Jesus highlights something else in their attitude, for he turns the question on the Pharisees, and he asks them, what would you do then if your son or an ox, something very precious to them, was in danger on a Sabbath day? His example is, if it fell into a well, what would you do? If that were to happen, then of course you would pull them out, wouldn't you? Even if it was the Sabbath day. So if you would do that, why would you think it unlawful then to heal this poor man on the Sabbath day? 
The Pharisees were making rules for other people that they would not necessarily keep themselves. And so Jesus highlights the hypocrisy of their traditions, which they teach and burden on the people. But Jesus also notices the total lack of, hum- of humility. As he sees the guests fighting for the places of honor at the table. Um, these kind of banquets where uh, the table was in a U-shape. The guests sat at the, at the base of the U. And then when you were, the person who was closest, or sorry, the host sat at the, per- at the base of the U-shape. And the person who was closest to the host, was, that was decided the, the place of honor. And the further away you got were the lower places of honor. So Jesus teaches a parable, and it explains the beauty of humility. For the Pharisees, they, they saw the importance uh, of the places of honor. They recognized worldly, worldly standards and hierarchies. They desired to have what was best. Yet Jesus' attitude is a lot different, for he says, take the lowest place, and in taking it, you will be exalted. To be truly humble is to be, ex- is to be exalted, to exalt yourself is to be humbled. But of course, this is not just a nice piece of advice Jesus is giving. For again, he's highlighting something more than that. The topsy-turvy world of the kingdom is not what the Pharisees expected to be like. They think they should have the places of honor in the kingdom. But Jesus, Jesus explains it's not about having honor. Rather, The kingdom is about being truly humble and recognizing others over and above yourself. And in doing that, then you will be truly exalted. Humility is the key to greatness. In the kingdom, the way to get to the top is to go to the bottom. But the Pharisees, who considered themselves superior to others, would inevitably be humiliated. They lacked the humility the kingdom required. And if this party wasn't heating up enough, Jesus then turns his attention to the host and he speaks about generosity in verses 12 and 14. Now, Jesus is not saying here it's wrong to invite your friends and relatives to dinner. He's making a point about generosity. It's not particularly generous to invite people to dinner who will repay the favor. What does it cost you? Nothing. Rather, it's much more generous to invite those who have no possibility of paying back your hospitality. The blind, the crippled, and the lame. Those who are social outcasts. Not the type of people who would normally have been associated with this type of polite dinner party on the Sabbath day. But in in being truly generous, there will be great blessing at the resurrection of the righteous. Indeed, Jesus, throughout these episodes at this dinner party, has highlighted again and again the inability of the Pharisees to see a very important point. That the law which they claimed to uphold was about love for God and love for their neighbor. Yet they are so full of self-concern that they fail to do that. They piously look like they are keeping the law with their traditions and ceremonies, yet in reality they are not. For they are full of self-interest rather than concern for the good of others before themselves. They look religious. They look like they're heading for the kingdom. But Jesus has warned them that to enter the kingdom, they must not assume that they will be there because of their station, because of their office, 
because they think they are righteous. It is for those who are humble enough to accept it. The kingdom was not what they expected. But here then is the question, would they be there? When the great feast takes place, would the Pharisees make it into the kingdom? Would these strict religious people get there? From the outside, it looked that they were certain to be part of it. They assumed they would be there, but would they? Would they accept the invitation? And that's the question that Jesus now turns to as this guest makes the pious remark in verse 15. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, he says. Now, I think this statement is designed to divert attention away from those whom Jesus had rather forcibly been addressing. And the atmosphere at this dinner party, I'm sure, was quite tense at this point. Jesus was not just sitting there making polite conversation. But this pious fellow tries to divert the conversation for a bit. And he comes out with a platitude. Now, don't get me wrong, this is perfectly correct. What he says is correct. The man who eats at the feast in the kingdom of, uh, of God will indeed be blessed. But Jesus, of course, highlights the most urgent concern. The more urgent concern is that will they be there when that feast is served? And as usually uses a parable. The parable of the great banquet. A certain man has given this banquet. He sends out invitations uh, to many guests and they accept. So when the time comes to give the actual banquet itself, he sends out his servants to call the people to come because all has been made ready. In ancient cultures, there were always two invites to a party. That was the custom. Nobody would come unless they were invited twice. And the second invite came when the food was ready to be received. Notice would be given and they should come and attend. However, there's a catch in the story for as the servants go out to give the people notice that the time has come, they make all sorts of excuses. One of them has a field he's bought and he has to go and inspect it. So he asks to be excused. Another has five yoke of oxen which he has purchased, and he must go and take a look at them. He must go and try them out. So he asks to be excused. And finally, another one says he just got married, so he doesn't even ask to be excused. So the servant takes the news back to the master, and the master is angry. For they said they would come, but now when all is ready and the banquet is about to begin, they renege and don't show up. Imagine you were invited to Buckingham Palace to dine with Her Majesty the Queen. The invitation comes. The night arrives. All is set up. The Queen arrives to receive her guests. You phone up the palace and say, sorry, I've got something better to do. The arrogance of it is shocking. It's not the excuses that are the problem. It's the arrogance of being invited and then deciding not to come. That's the issue. The result is, in the parable, that the master becomes angry with his guests. They have insulted him. They have insulted him as he offered them hospitality. But what is he to do about this insult? Will he seek revenge for being insulted? Will he seek justice? What will he do with his anger? Well, his anger turns to grace. 
And he sends the servants out into the streets and the alleys to bring, of the town to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The very people that Jesus had already mentioned to his host only a few verses previous. Yet the house is still not full when that's done. And so the servants are sent out again and again into the country lanes and the country roads and to bring in those people who would have never been invited before. And the parable ends with a very solemn warning that those, those who had been invited first would not get a taste of the banquet that had been prepared. You see, as Jesus arrives announcing the coming of, king, of the kingdom, he is bringing um, the people whom, in, whom had been invited before, his own people, the Jewish people, notice that the great feast was ready. The banquet had been prepared. The kingdom had arrived, but they issue excuses. They have more important issues to deal with, as they see it. Jesus had come to offer blessing, to be part of the kingdom feast. And the problem is they're not responding by coming to the banquet, but ignoring it. And as they do, they're insulting God and they're insulting the one whom he has sent. They're invited, but they will not attend. Those who should have been at the banquet will not be at it, for they refuse to come. And if we see the excuses, we find that it's a matter of priorities. They see these things as taking greater priority than coming to God's feast and being part of his kingdom. Jesus has issued a stinging rebuke to his host, to the Pharisees. Yet it is exactly what Jesus knew would happen. He knew they were not willing to accept him and so would not be part of the feast of the kingdom. They were invited, but they were not willing, not willing to come. And so God's anger with his people turns to grace to others whom would never have been invited and they are brought to the banquet. The poor, the blind, the lame and the crippled, those who were considered sinners and unclean. Those whom the Pharisees saw themselves as being superior to. They would enter the feast. They would receive the blessing. They would rejoice with God's people. Indeed, it wasn't just these people, but further out of the city into the country lanes and roads, the sinners and the Gentiles would be brought in to be part of this banquet, would feast with God's people, would sit with Abraham and the prophets. And those who thought they would be there would be excluded. Those who exalt themselves had too many self-interests to come when the notice had arrived. You see, it wasn't just the Pharisees' failure to love other people, but their failure to ultimately to love God by accepting the one whom he had sent that meant they would be excluded. They wanted to be there, but only on their own terms. They wanted to be there because they were righteous, Compared to everybody else, they had deserved it. Yet when the kingdom came, these experts who knew the law, who taught the people, failed to see the Messiah to whom the law pointed towards. They failed to recognize the kingdom when it had come, and they failed to receive the blessing of the kingdom feast. They were not willing. Who would enter the kingdom? It would be those who would be willing to come on God's terms, not their own, 
Those who were humble enough to accept God's invitation that comes through Christ. Those who would be humble enough to come to God as he asks. In repentance and faith in his son. The man who made the pious statement at the party thought he would be there at the feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus asks him. And he asks all of them who were at that feast. Okay, you want to be there, but will you really be there? For the kingdom invitation has been announced and yet they are still unwilling to recognize him. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What Jesus was saying to these people was scandalous as far as they were concerned. For he was implying that Israel, that these Pharisees would be excluded and Gentile sinners would be part of the kingdom before them. The very chosen people who boasted about their position and their righteousness would never see the kingdom. The kingdom was not what they thought it was. It wasn't for the self-righteous. It was for the poor. It was for those who humbled themselves before God and accepted his grace in Christ. And it is still the same offer that comes to us today. Are you willing to come to God on his terms? Or will you be excluded because you're not willing to come on anyone's terms but your own? Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Seek his forgiveness. Know that you need it. Know that you will find it. The kingdom is not for the righteous, but for those who humbly realize that they need forgiveness. That they don't deserve to be there. Jesus himself said, I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. The time is short. The kingdom is offered to us today. Offered to us through Christ. Will you accept it? Will you be willing to humble yourself and come on God's terms? Will you eat at the feast in the kingdom of God? Will you accept the invitation to God's banquet? Will you be there? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful and kind. Lord, we thank you that you have, in your great mercy and kindness, allowed us to have time to repent, time to turn from self-righteousness, from our own way of thinking, time to turn to Jesus Christ, to accept his offer and of forgiveness through what he has done for us on the cross. We thank you that this is an open invitation that extends to us all. That when he came, he just didn't come for his own, but as part of your great plan for the world, that you were bringing all peoples. And Lord, we thank you that on the very last day, when all your people are gathered together at that great feast, there will be a great multitude from every language, tribe, and nation. People who've come through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, in the weakness of our sinfulness, to accept your invitation, to humble ourselves before you, knowing that we are not worthy of your forgiveness, 
but knowing also that you freely offer to us the grace of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.